now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome aboard here on this Saturday, the 16th of September. Stan the Fan flying almost solo. No Craig Heist this week, which enhances the chances for a top-notch show uh, markedly because sitting in the um, the cockpit today is Bonza Tufa, and Bonza will join me and sort of co-host along the way. How are you, Bonza? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Can you keep talking for just a second so I can try and share this? Yeah, and if you want to share the stream too, go on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, like it and share it so everyone else can see it. We need the views. You didn't tell me that you were going to be on the camera. That's what I said. I said that before the show. I'm kidding. (laughs) Of course I knew you would be on the camera. I'm just trying to help the show's appearance, you know, because you and Craig talk about how... Nobody wants to see two old men on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so now we got a young man on camera. Quote, unquote, young. All right. Uh, we've got a good show today. Uh, Orioles beat writer for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, Rich Dubroff, joins us at 1015. And why don't you tell folks who's after that? After Rich Dubroff, we got the Yankees broadcaster on the Yes Network, Ken Singleton at 1040. Then we have Marty Conway, a professor at Georgetown University at 11.05. And then Matt Soroka at 11.20. He's from Section 336. And then Pressbox's own Jim Henneman at 11.35. Jim wrote an interesting piece for the print column, which just came out uh, yesterday, the new print edition. And where? tell me where the best place to show it. This is, this is our 237th issue of Pressbox. How's that? Good? His head is cut off, lowered a little bit. There There you go. Okay. I think this is the best cover we've ever done. Contrast in College Park about the job DJ Durkin is doing, Uh, not just the facts of how he's doing, but how he's doing it, you know, which is um, by hard, hard level salesmanship uh, of he and his staff because the recruiting has been, it's been top 15 over the last couple years. Uh, and and there's no sign that that's going to let up. So I think the level of uh, of talent on his team is far superior than what Randy Etzel had or what the the predecessors uh, Ralph Fridgen and uh, Joe Krivak, you Duffner, uh, Mark Duffner, excuse me, and Ron Vanderlinden had. So. I'm uh, pretty excited about the DJ Durkin era. My alma mater got a taste of Maryland football last weekend, and it wasn't pretty. You mean Texas? Towson. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know you went to Towson. But by the way, so I alluded to the print edition that just came out because Jim Henneman just wrote a piece about this, this situation in Major League Baseball, how when a team signs a bad contract with a player, they're able to essentially buy out of that contract by paying the other team portion, large portions of that player's salary. And it's interesting. He thinks that the commissioner's office should do something about that, that trades should be made on a basis of you trade this, all of his baggage goes with him because he, he equates it to back in the uh, – 
seventies uh, when Charlie Finley wanted to just outright sell players. It was deemed that that was not in the best interest of baseball by then Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, but the economics have so changed that it's just an interesting topic that the economics have changed so dramatically that teams are constantly wanting to get out of contracts and basically pay the other team uh, large sums of money to move around, which I guess in, in this world means you're only going to have limited teams that can afford to take on those oversized contracts. Well, is it kind of like when John Carlos Stanton got cleared of waivers, like, what, a month ago? Right. And he was available to be traded, but I didn't think anybody would want to trade for Stanton because of his insane contract? Correct. That's that's sort of that's sort of the point he's making. Now, that, that had something to do. If there were waivers in the offseason – uh, but in the offseason, you can just trade anybody uh, at will. Um, there's a very real possibility the Marlins could look into trading Stanton. And, of course, the Yankees would be there. But the Yankees would probably want Greg Bird, um, you know, uh, whatever infield prospect they have that isn't going to play second or short. Uh, and I think they do have one good couple pitching pro- – they'd want five or six pieces – uh, from the New York Yankees for Giancarlo Stanton. And, you know, I guess that would free up Brett Gardner to be traded. You know, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. I personally think that Derek Jeter is smart enough as a baseball guy to understand that he starts off, despite the fact he's losing a lot of money with the Marlins on the books, that if the first thing you do – is do exactly what the predecessor, Jeffrey Luria, would have done, which is to start trading off pieces. You're going to have an audience that goes, here we go again, more of the same. And I think he gets off on the total wrong foot. What they have to do is try and figure out some common sense approaches to keep that payroll within certain limits. And, of course, the Marlins, frankly, got literally, no pun intended, killed by the death of Jose Fernandez. I mean, that you know, they are eight or nine games under five hundred right now. I think we all know that they'd be over five hundred if Jose Fernandez were alive and pitching. I mean, their offense can be very lethal. I mean, you got John Carlos Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich, JT Real Muto. You got a lot of great offensive players, but they just don't have really that great a pitching to support that. No, no, they don't. Uh, and they got they made a really horrific buy when they bought Wee and Chen for what five years and seventy five million dollars roughly. Right. And he's had two really terrible years uh, with the Marlins. Looks like Dan Duquette knew what he was doing. Bought him cheap. Got eight, nine, ten million dollars worth of value each year out of him, and then got rid of him when the real cost went up to $16, 17000000 million. By the way, I've jotted down, and I do this on my Facebook Live thing when I do them at home, my O's postgame chats. Is that pretty good? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. That's the standings. We don't have the ability to throw up graphics or anything like that. That's the standings uh, in each division. It shows the Red Sox have a three-game lead over the New York Yankees. Uh, Cleveland has a 13-and-a-half game lead over Minnesota, and Houston has a 14-game lead over the Angels. So the only division in the American League that has any doubt at all 
is the American League East, and that's between Boston and New York. Now, I'm going to hold it up once again, just focus on the National League. Okay? You see the Washington uh, Nationals have a 21-game lead wow. over, the, uh, <laughs> over the Miami Marlins. Uh, the Cubs have a three-game lead over Milwaukee, a four-game lead over St. Louis, and the Dodgers, despite losing 15 out of 16 games, still have a nine-and-a-half-game lead over Arizona. Yes. The Nationals are the only team that clinched a division so far, correct? I believe so. Because the Dodgers have clinched a playoff berth, but not, not the, the division. division. Correct. Uh, let's see. Houston has clinched a playoff spot, I think, but mm-hmm. not – yep. Yep, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, technically, if Cleveland lost every game and Minnesota won every game, Minnesota could still win the division. Right. Um, but again, the only two divisions in doubt at all are Boston with a three-game lead over the Yankees and the Cubs with a three-game lead over Milwaukee and a four-game lead over St. Louis. I've done this as well, and you'll tell me if it needs to be lower or is it fairly decent. Okay. Wild card races, okay, and for about a month, I've had eight teams in the American League wild card for the second wild card spot, especially. But I always had the Yankees. Yankees are leading in the American League as far as the wild card goes. They have a they have a four game lead over Minnesota. They are not likely to get upended for that first wild card spot now. The Angels are two back of Minnesota for the second wild card team, and the Seattle Mariners are three and a half games back of Minnesota. You'll note that again, a couple weeks ago, up until like earlier this week, where I had eight teams listed, I've taken off Texas, who've fallen three games under 500, I've taken off the Orioles, taken off Kansas City. And taken off Tampa. Those teams are dead in the water. In the National League, it looks like right now Arizona clearly is going to win the the first wild card team. They have a, a five game lead over Colorado. Milwaukee is two and a half games behind Colorado for the second wild card team uh, uh, wild card spot. Ironically, they're only three out of winning the division, and their mm-hmm. problem is they got up. I think they were looking f- so forward to playing Milwaukee, to playing the Cubs that they lost three in a row to Cincinnati. They then swept the Cubs and went to Pittsburgh and I think lost two out of three there. So they have not done their job at winning the games they should win, and that's why they're in kind of between a rock and a hard place. Um, not likely, in my opinion, to make the playoffs. And St. Louis has lost a couple games this week. Uh, playing lesser opponents, uh, and uh, I think they've made themselves very long shot to get into the playoffs. I've been following the Orioles a lot this past week, and it's been a very frustrating week to see them kind of just take themselves out of the wild card picture. I think one of the most well, what frust- have they lost now, Bonds? Eight out of nine. Eight out of nine, and I think the most frustrating loss I saw it was the second game against Toronto. I believe when Bundy started. Right. And Bundy did a good job, and Tim Beckham hit the go-ahead home run the eighth inning to make it 2-1, to one, and then Zach Britton comes in after they put Brock in. See, I thought the problem that that game, I know which game you're talking about Michael now, Gibbons. that was the game Gibbons looked awesome. Yeah. I mean, beyond awesome, and he did it 
He pitched the seventh inning and retired the side in eight or nine pitches. Right. I thought if there was ever a game that called out for going back for a second inning, and it's not that I've totally lost faith that Brock can do the job. It's just when Brock or O'Day come in, they're never as smooth sailing and the way Givens was. I would have had Givens pitch that eighth inning, and I think the likelihood was that then Britton wouldn't have had to come in the eighth. He would have come in when he was accustomed to coming in, and we would have won that game. That's my opinion. Yeah, and Brock did not look good at all when he came in that eighth inning, allowing a couple base runners, and then Zach Britton got out of that jam, and then the ninth inning, he wouldn't, he didn't look good at all either. So it makes you especially think twice about taking Givens out after that seventh inning. By the way, getting back to that National League wild card, the, I take back what I said. Milwaukee swept the Cubs, and they've gone 3-1 and one this week. The only game they lost was Monday night to Pittsburgh. So they are 6-1. and one. They're playing their hearts out right now. But St. Louis uh, lost one out of three to Cincinnati, and lost the first game to the Cubs last night. I think that all but sealed their fate as being on the outside looking in. Weren't the Brewers like on top of their division for a good bit of the year? Oh, they were on top of the division until I believe early mid July. Didn't the Orioles play out there in July? July fourth. They played the Brewers in Milwaukee. Yeah. I can't remember when it was. I believe it was yes, it was July third, fourth, and fifth. They were leading the division shortly after that. Well, see, I can, I can look at this very quickly. At the All Star, at the All Star break, the week after the All Star break, Milwaukee was forty nine and forty one, and the Cubs were forty three and forty four. So they not only led, they had about a five and a half game lead after the All Star break. All right, uh, so Milwaukee, uh, listen, as young teams are apt to do. Uh, they went through some severe growing pains, and uh, uh, they will most likely not recover from it this year, but they've set in motion uh, a really nice foundation for next year. Uh, of course, one of their problems is one of their best pitchers needs shoulder surgery, I think. Jimmy Nelson is going to need I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I think it was on uh, MLBTradeRumors.com yesterday. Mm. All right. Anyway, are we joined now by the the great Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, how are you? I'm great, Stan. How are you? Rich, you've, I'm, I'm great as well. Uh, you've watched this team since spring training. I know, like a lot of us, you were as cynical as any of us about whether or not the pitching would be up to speed this year. But you have to admit, after the run from the acquisition of Beckham, to about the Yankee series at home, um, they had made a nice little charge. And are you surprised by this eight and nine mini collapse? Yeah, I, I, I am. Uh, I thought it would be a challenging road trip for them, but I didn't think it would be, you know, this challenging. Yeah. Uh, of course, going against Cleveland. Yeah, they ran you know, into nobody, a, they ran into a buzzsaw know, there, you know. No, nobody was winning, you know, nobody yeah. was winning and the, and the pitching wasn't. You know, the thing is uh other than other than the game uh Thursday night the the, the pitching hasn't been bad. Right. You know, the hitting's just the hitting's been uh 
uh, the hitting's been quiet. I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways they're kind of mentally drained. Yes. They seem to be like a, a basketball team that was trailing by 25. And used up, all their, within, used up all their energy. Yeah, they got to within five or six and then, you know, and, and, and then leveled out again. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's not a bad team. I think it's just a media, you know, it's a mediocre yep. team. Yeah. The end result is basically mediocrity. Do you think they have what it takes? I know it's a Pyrrhic victory, uh, and you're one of the only people I could use that that word with and know that you understood it. Uh, but do you think it's a Pyrrhic victory to finish 500 or better, or do you think Buck cares to, to keep that streak alive? Yeah, I think so, because, uh, I, you know, in 2015, they won their last five games. They were 76 and 81, and they won their last five games to – to go 81 and 81 and i i think that you know i think that it, it kind of looks better mm-hmm. and uh you know it's not it's it's not satisfying at all if if, if they do it they'd have to go nine and six now and yep. nine and five now to uh to do it and that would be uh you know and that's going to be pretty difficult two games with the yankees three games with the uh with the red sox so uh i, I think that that'll be uh you know you know that'll be difficult, but they're still you know probably maybe a week away from uh, official elimination. Here. Yep. Uh, if they you know if they play a few you know if they win a few more games they if can they, uh, if they win they, fifteen they can keep and, it mathematically alive until maybe the Pittsburgh series. If they win fifteen in a row, they might win the the wild card spot. Fourteen in a row. That's all they have left. Yeah. I counted it earlier this morning, and I thought there were fifteen. Let's no, see. Hold on one second. They're 72 and 76. They've got two, so they're four, they're okay. 14 games left. 72 and 76 so all they, 150. So if, they, if, they, if they somehow went, you know, 12 and 2 or 13 and 1 or something, okay. then, uh, uh, then, then they'd need, uh, you know, they'd need help. But, you know, the interesting thing, Stan, is even if they had been playing well, Minnesota's been playing well enough. Yep. So that they wouldn't have, uh, you know, they, they still wouldn't be catching them. They, I mean, they'd be, you, you know, know, maybe where they were, a game and a half, two games behind. All the but, uh, all the teams that were chasing the Yankees, Minnesota's the only one that has really kind of kept pace. The the rest of them, I'll give the Angels a little nod that they played better, but after that, the other five teams have all slumped miserably to, over the last two weeks. Yeah, so I think that uh, you know, and, and and I know that it, you know it was fun watching uh, sort of the Beckham, the Beckham, uh, the Beckham bounce. Yep. You know, fifty hit, fifty hits in a month. Uh, well, you may not see that again yeah. from anybody. You know, from anybody. What's what's rarer? Twenty-two game winning streak like the Indians had snapped last night, or fifty hits in a in a month? Fifty uh, hits in I, a month uh, 20, is uh, twenty-two games. Uh, 20, a 22-game uh, winning streak. All right. Hey, we're talking to Rich Dubroff of PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. By the way, again, handheld uh, today at the Babe Ruth birthplace is Trey Manst- No, excuse me. It's next Saturday, not today. Next Saturday at the Babe Ruth birthplace between 1130 and 1 o'clock, Trey Mancini for a Q&A and an autograph session all right, there's the number on the screen, 410. Is it 727, Bonza? 
What's the rest of it? 727-410-727-1539. Okay, that's the phone number to call about tickets for the Trey Mancini uh, signing next weekend. Uh, before we ask you a real, real question, what are your impressions? Forget the baseball player, Trey Mancini. What do you think he brings to that clubhouse? Uh, he's an adult. Yep. He's an adult. He's a professional. He showed he he his adaptability, the 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 eagerness to play the outfield, the eagerness to listen after he made some initial mistakes. Right. Uh, and, and just you know, not you know, he runs the ball. You know, he runs balls out. Uh, you know, he just try he tries hard, and I I think that. Uh, that has been uh, a, a, something that's really been noticed. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you. Now, you just wrote a piece yesterday for PressBoxOnline.com, and it's one we've discussed a couple times. I think there was an acknowledgement way before the season began that the Oriole pitching could be short. And I think Dan Duquette made a creative, albeit a flawed attempt, at shoring up you know what was what was next in line to push some people past Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson and Jason Aquino and those kind. Um, could you talk a little bit about your article? Well, uh, I know it's something that you're acutely interested in, Stan. Yeah, and uh, you know we we reviewed uh, all the uh, all the pitchers, the, uh, the you know the, the sort of secondary and tertiary pitchers. And how that, many uh, were there? Ten or eleven? There were eleven plus uh, plus we, Hellickson. We didn't count, we yeah. didn't count Jeremy Hellickson, right? Uh, because that was sort of a frontline acquisition. But there were eleven pitchers he acquired from the end of the 2016 season until you know, and, until now. Uh, but basically, uh, they went to early you know into early April because uh, they didn't really acquire anyone uh, from outside the organization after. The first week or two of the season, who uh, you know, who's pitched? They've, they've used guys from the farm from the farm system, and you know, a couple of those pitchers were really, really good. Uh, Richard Blyer and Miguel Castro; those guys look like keepers. Uh, another guy, uh, Alec Asher, you know, he may get uh, he may get another look, and a lot of those other guys uh, are already gone, you know, are already gone or, or have very little chance of uh, of helping. But what it was doing is basically shoring up the, the bullpen, and they were hoping maybe to get uh, some starters uh, out of it. And, and one of them, Gabriel Yanoa, uh, who pitched last night, is pitched creditably at times, yep. and, and he'll he'll get a look at, the, you know, for a, a sort of an outside contender for one of the, uh, the spots next year. So it wasn't a total, you know, a lot of fans like to make fun of, uh, of, of Duquette. For, uh, yeah, that he's a tinkerer. He's just doing little, th- little things. But, not but, that, but things. that he that he's doing little things. Uh, he's doing little things when the big things need uh, need shoring up. Well, you know, sometimes you can't acquire those big things. Right. So he, uh, right. he 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 thought that well, gee, if I get I can get a lot of these little things and a few of them hit. Well, two of them really, two of them really hit. So it's, he didn't do horribly at it. I mean, the aim 
was, you know, the aim was laudable, but they're going to have to do a lot more. They're going to have to be very, very creative uh, this offseason to try and, and get pitching. And I expect them to be very aggressive again. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe doing some trades uh, of maybe higher-end players or try and trade some higher-end players in order, to, uh, in order to get some pitching. We're talking to Rich Dubroff of PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. Bonds has got a question for you, Rich. Yeah, uh, Rich. One question is something I've been wondering since they called him up. Pedro Alvarez, who was on the O's main roster last season, what is the role for him in this last month of the season? Well, he, uh, he played last night. He had his uh, first start of the season, uh, Bonds, and he... Uh, his role is probably just to be a left-handed, uh, in the last couple of weeks, to be a, a left-handed hitter off the bench. Uh, Adam Jones uh, didn't play last night, uh, and they played Trumbo uh, in the out, and they played Trumbo in the outfield. So I would expect that you won't see a lot of uh, of Pedro Alvarez uh, for the next couple of weeks because I, I don't really think he's in their uh, in their future plans. Rich, uh, help me out with something. I counted up five players that I think there's more than a 50-50 chance aren't with the team next year. That's Ubaldo at 13.5, Tillman at 10.1, Smith at 7.5, Hardy at either 11 or 12, something like that, Miley at 8.9, well, actually next year would be 12. Uh, You add those five players up, that's a net of about $50 million. Um, does that register with you that that's a, a fair amount of money to go out and shore up a couple of the problems, understanding well that Machado and Scope are going to get huge raises, that some of the money, you know, Gosman will get a raise, um, that some and Bundy will get a raise. Um, what do you think? Well, I think that, you know, the, the question I would have there uh, and, you know, as you know, I wrote a, a piece earlier in the week about, uh, about those players. Yep. And, uh, uh, and also uh, Wellington Castillo is another guy who, uh, uh, who has a $7 million player option. I'm thinking that he's uh, going to decline that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that those are interesting. And the question is whether they're going to bring Wade Miley back right. for $12 million, You know, and... Uh, I think that there's a decent chance if he, you know, if he delivers more starts like he did Thursday night, then no. Right. But I mean, if he goes back and and uh, and is credible, you know, gives him a couple of a couple more good starts, I think that there's a decent chance that they they bring if, him back. If his just next, because st- th- go ahead, go ahead. Just because uh, you know they only have two sure starters next year, and at least with Miley. It's easier to find two good, two creditable starters than rather than three. So I think that uh, you know Miley is certainly a, a possibility. But the problem, Stan, is that it sure doesn't look like there's a lot of great starting pitching out on the free agent market. No, and the names that you know are likely to be tossed around uh, in the early stages of free agency. Are guys who, you know, the Orioles probably aren't going to go after you, Darvish, uh, or you know, 
Jake Arrieta. Just won't be a, Jake, Jake Arrieta. Arrieta or uh, are, are guys that won't, uh, won't excite the fans. You know, one guy who I think would be really good would be Jason, uh, Jason Vargas. But, you know, I know, I think the Orioles have showed some interest in him in the past, but because the market is pretty thin, I think that he may have, uh, you know, he may have some uh, bigger money suitors than, uh, than the Orioles. And one name that we haven't talked about is Jeremy Hellickson. Right. Uh, Jeremy Hellickson, uh, Got what seventeen point two million dollars this year from the, the, the qualifying, the offer, qualifying yeah. offer, and he's not going to get that kind of money. But even though his his record has been middling, I think that his uh, I think that because the market is not great, he may uh, he may do pretty well in the free agent market. But the kinds of pitchers the Orioles get to replace him will probably be on his level or Wade Miley's level. And that is there. There's the rub. Now, there's one pitcher that you didn't mention, and I I didn't expect you to mention all 35, 40 names. But Alex Cobb is the most intriguing to me because he's only making four point two this year. It might be four point seven, but whatever it is. But I expect again the suitors and the cost of an Alex Cobb to be up in the sixteen, seventeen million a year range for four well, to four to six case. years. If that's the case, they're not going to be interested. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I think that they're going to be scared away from the uh, from the Ubaldo Jimenez uh, affair. You know, Ubaldo is pitching in, is in his final couple of weeks with the team, and his contract was four years, fifty million dollars, and fans have unfairly labeled him a failure. Right. He's not a failure. He's a disappointment. There's a you know there's a great sort of myth that if you're not great you're terrible and there are many uh, you know there are, there are many uh, gradations in between great and terrible and you know Jimenez has been a disappointment if you spent fifty million dollars over four years you wanted a much better record than he gave you but there were times that he really helped the club and uh, they they're not gonna but they're still gonna feel like well, gee, if we spend that much money on a, a pitcher, it's got to be somebody who's uh, a lot more, uh, uh, who's going to give them a lot more. And I don't know that that pitcher is out there. Yeah. I mean, the two names. At their, at their price. Well, that therein lies the rub and, and the flaw in Mr. Angelos's overall thinking. I understand that pitching is the most dangerous and risky commodity to deal with. But if you're in this business, at a certain point, you've got to look at the teams that are historically better than you and, and see that what really separates them most of the time is that the starting pitching, uh, the money poured into starting pitching. Now, the other way around this is to have can't-miss prospects always at your beck and call. But but missing on on a couple mid level free agent types like Miley and Jimenez, even though I know we got Miley in a trade, is far different if you have Bundy and Gosman and Hunter Harvey just ready to come to the major leagues, and you're not sitting there with Jason Aquino, Chris Lee, Tyler Wilson, and Mike Wright. How do they get around next year having more like seven or eight? viable options out of spring training 
rather than five, and then, oh, geez, Tillman's hurt. We're in trouble. Uh, they really, that was a flawed plan, Rich. Well, I think that maybe if maybe if they trade someone and there's a, there's an elephant in the room, yeah. and the elephant in the room is Zach Britton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Zach Britton will, uh, if he, he stays with the Orioles next year, he's likely to make 14 or $15 million. Right. And I think uh, they don't want to pay uh, a relief pitcher, even one as good as Zach Britton, $14 right. or $15 million. So if they trade him and they're able to get uh, a starting pitcher, even if they don't really get full value right. for Britton, and then maybe they can, you know, maybe they can do that. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That, that, that's going to be something that's pain. That's going to be something that's very painful, though. I'll tell you what. I, if I'm the Houston Astros and the Orioles come to, now, I know there's probably some angst between the two teams right now how that deal fell apart. But if I could get Joe Musgrove and an A ball good prospect starting pitcher from the Astros for Britain, I jump on it. I jump on it. Uh, we really appreciate your being on. You've done some fantastic work this summer. Uh, look forward to talking to you again and sitting next to you the uh, uh, the last homestand of the season. All right, Stan. Thanks very much for Thank you, me. and enjoy uh, your time in New York, my friend. I appreciate that. All Thank right. You. Rich Dubroff does a terrific job covering the Baltimore Orioles for us. And, again, I apologize because I, I read this about five minutes before we went on the air, Bonza. But that Trey Mancini signing next week, it's next Saturday when the Orioles are home against Tampa Bay Rays. It's 11.30 to 1 o'clock, probably a 15, 20-minute Q&A with Trey Mancini, then about an hour and 10 minutes of him signing autographs. It's at the Babe Ruth Birthplace, which is at 216 Emory Street. You can check it out by going to www.baberuthmuseum.org. Or by calling 410-727-1539. All right? There you have it. We're going to take a timeout. When we get back, former Oriole great, Oriole Hall of Famer Ken Singleton to join us. We'll, we'll leave out the part that he's in Yankee Telecaster with the Yes Network. We'll talk to Ken Singleton when we return members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto, and I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized Thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yard. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, Technically, we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, 
we tend to sit in three three four. But the ticket screwed up. We're just we can touch section three thirty six. I walk past. I say hi to Ryan in section three thirty six. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show section three three six. Yes, yeah, so section three thirty six. Section three thirty six. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press that. box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Looking for a challenge? Push yourself further. It begins when you enlist as a soldier in the U.S. Army. You'll be trained in one of more than 150 career fields and could even earn money for college if you qualify. To find out more, visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com. There's Strong, and then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. Money for college. More than 150 career paths. Up to $40,000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. That's Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. <laughs> and I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. All right, Stan the Fan back here on the batter round. As you can see on your cameras, I'm stuck with the younger... More handsome, Bonza Tufa. Stuck, what does that mean? It means just what it, my partner's not here. You put, I'm just like, trying to, you put, Bonza, I'm you just put, trying to make Craig feel good. <laughs> this is the best show we've done. In, in, okay, uh, yeah, so we do have to be nice yeah, to him. Yeah, we're trying to be cordial. Uh, we're going to be joined by Ken Singleton in just a moment. Ken with the Yes Network. Uh, former Oriole, uh, played about, uh, I think, five, eight seasons with the Baltimore Orioles, all at Memorial Stadium, and all uh, all but one year under um, manager Earl Weaver, or actually two years. Uh, he played 75, I think, to 82 under Earl, 83 and 84 under uh, Joe Altabelli, and then I think Ken uh, called it a career at that point in time, and his uh, his. Goal of becoming a uh, 
broadcaster, and uh, did we get a hold of him? We've got him right now. Number 29 and number one in your hearts, Ken Singleton. Ken, how are you? Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm good. And we just accidentally clicked on the music, but we've got Ken Singleton with us. Has been a longtime voice in the Yankees TV booth. Ken, do you do radio as well? Have you ever done radio? Uh, I did radio back in the days when I was with uh, Montreal. Okay. And, uh, but not since I've been with the Yankees. I've only been on on TV with the Yankees uh, for, what, this 21 seasons now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And most of them with Michael Kay, correct? Yeah, uh, the last 16 for sure, uh, since Yes has been around. But prior to that, when MSG used to produce the games, I worked with Jim Cott. At Jim- and, uh, now, did you uh, ever work with Scooter? No, Scooter actually uh, retired the year that uh, I came in. Okay. So I, I, I was sort of like uh, the one who took over or was uh, a replacement for Scooter in the booth. Of course, nobody can replace Scooter, but, uh, you know, I've been there for a long time now. Now, I certainly didn't have you on to talk about Phil Rizzuto, nicknamed uh-huh. Scooter, but of all the people I've met in baseball, uh, and I rank you pretty high, Brooks Robinson is probably one and Rizzuto two in terms of treating everybody with respect and the way you'd want to treat somebody. I, I think uh, that's, that's very true. I, I think that uh, certainly in the Baltimore area, we know how much uh, Book, Brooks is revered and respected uh, for the way he's been uh, throughout his playing career and since uh, he retired. And uh, that will always be true. I mean, Brooks is... Uh, uh, just uh, one of those people that I used to tell Brooks that uh, that he was my mom's second favorite player, and sometimes he was first. <laughs> it depended on how I was playing. So uh, that's how much my mom liked Brooks. Hey, you threw me you threw me a mini curveball there by mentioning the city of Montreal. There has uh-huh. been the last year and a half to two years. There's been this notion that it's it's not if it's when. Do you think Montreal? can get a baseball team back, and if it was the right stadium that they could support the team? I, I believe so. Uh, I believe that uh, I, I do think it's going to happen. It, yeah. A lot depends on what's going to happen with Oakland and uh, Tampa Bay. Right. I think once baseball gets these two situations straightened out, and uh, I just read the other day where uh, Oakland has uh, uh, got a site for their new ballpark, which is uh, – I, I'm not sure where it is. It's called the Peralta section. And it's somewhere uh, near downtown Oakland. So I, 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 that's a step forward. And when I was out there, I, I asked if, uh, some of the writers how they were going to you know, pay for it. I never heard of how it was going to be paid for it. But they said it's going to be privately financed, which is uh, was the way the Giants did it across the bay in San Francisco. So that, that'd, be, that'd be good. Taxpayers wouldn't have to you know, uh, suffer much of the burden. Do you know Andy Dolich? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, Andy's a uh, sports marketing guy who used to work for the Oakland A's, and he resides in the Bay Area. He's one of the few people that has worked for franchises in all the big four sports. He ran uh-huh. the business side of the Memphis Grizzlies, ran business side stuff for the San Francisco 49ers, and also the Oakland A's and the Washington Capitals and the Philadelphia 76ers. He says... Wow. He's, he doesn't think the money is really out there. Forget the, the building of the stadium. He says mm-hmm. when they find this new location that is sexier, 
the infrastructure cost of attaching it to the roads and the metro are going to be astronomical. He says at the end uh-huh. of the day, he predicts they will end up having to come back to the Oakland Alameda Coliseum, you know, footprint and build it there. Well, that wouldn't be a bad thing either because there is a BART station there. Yep. I mean, all they, the park, there's enough land. I, I think what they want to do is get it near downtown so they can have some uh, some benefits for the businesses down there. Uh, if they don't do it that way and build it to the Coliseum, then they would have to, they, they want it to be a destination. I... You know, somewhere where fans can go before the game and stay after the game. And uh, so they would have to build all those restaurants and shops around the new stadium if they put it out at the Coliseum. Now, there is room because it's a huge parking lot, and they could build it in the parking lot while they still play at the Coliseum. Then eventually when the stadium's finished, knock the Coliseum down, and the parking lot and all that other stuff can go and get done. Uh, As far as Tampa Bay, I think that's more of a stickier issue. Uh, They've got, they're into a lease that lasts to, I think, uh, 2027. And it doesn't seem like the politicians are in any hurry to get a a, a ballpark done there. I think the last time Commissioner Manfred went down there, he was a little bit more forceful in the way he was speaking about it. He he was always saying, well, this is a process. He didn't say that this time. He, He said he wanted to get something done. Now, I know that Montreal, the mayor of Montreal has spoken to the commissioner. He says, we don't want to steal anybody's team, but if anybody is, uh, you know, ready to move, uh, we'll be willing. He, he, he says they, they have a stadium they can play in while they build a new one. Right. They have the land downtown. Uh, they have uh, supposedly the guys with the deep pockets that could support the team. And, uh, of course, you know, they've already had a team. There's already been two teams in Canada, so they kind of know how to get it done. They just have to do it better. I haven't talked to you about this in a long time uh, Mm because I really had you on to talk a little bit about the Yankees, but uh, uh, the Yankees and their postseason hopes and aspirations this year. But I I can't have you on and not talk about Earl Weaver. Uh, (laughs) Did you actually enjoy playing for Earl, or or was it a real grind for you? It it wasn't a grind uh, most days. Uh, I, I wouldn't enjoy is not the right word. <laughs> I guess, I guess I, what my my intention and in, when I use the word enjoy, the net result of playing for Earl was usually that you were on a winning and contending team. Was that, that enjoyable? Exactly right. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, and that's enjoyable when you go home a winner most times. Uh, during my ten years with the Orioles, Earl was my manager for eight years, and uh, we won more games than any other team. Uh, we won over nine hundred games in that those ten years. Of, so that's Figure it out. It's over 90 a year that yep. we would win. And uh, we had great pitchers. Uh, we had clutch hitters. We and Not only do we have some great players like uh, Cal and Eddie and Brooks and Jim Palmer, we had a lot of very good ones and guys who did not like to lose and uh, just knew how to win games. We, we played the game correctly. Our defense was usually very supreme. Uh, we hit just enough home runs. We had the power, but we always had the pitchers. And that's Basically, that's how you win. You know, if you keep the other team down, uh, you're going to win a lot of games. I, I think just about on a nightly basis, our starting pitcher was as good or better than the other team. And well, if you do that over the course of 162 games, they can't stay with you. It's very difficult. That brings me to talking about your former team, the Orioles, before we get into the Yankees. Ken, mm-hmm. they've, got, they've got, if you go position by position, they compare very favorably with a lot of the competition that they're up against on a nightly mm-hmm. basis until you get to the pitching rubber. 
it's all about the pitching, the starting pitching. We know. What is it that you think the club fails to understand about the necessity to pay a top top level pitcher what the market will bear? Yeah, that that has to be done in this day and age. Uh, I th- I think number one, you should look to grow your own pitchers. That way, you will have them during the uh, time of their career when they're not making expensive. much money. Yeah. Yeah, and then when they get to that point, you look at Tampa Bay. How many pitchers did they let go? But they had them for a few years where they were pretty good. Uh, guys like David Price. I mean, Alex Cobb's going to fall into that category yep. this year. I don't think he's going to be there next year. He can be a free agent, and they will just let him go. And he hasn't had the success of, of pitchers like Price or uh, Matt Moore. You know, even James Little, Shields. Yep. Yeah, James Shields was pretty good while he was with Tampa Bay. Yep. He, he, he doesn't seem to be that good anymore, but he was then. And you know Chris Archer is going to fall into that uh, the spectrum pretty soon. So it, it's that's how Tampa Bay does it. Of course, I, I think the Orioles, if they get a pitcher uh, as good as those guys, they, the Orioles could afford to keep him if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, if they had a Jim Palmer now, they'd be paying him top dollar. He'd be making thirty million dollars a year if they chose to pay him. And if they had a Scott McGregor or Dennis Martinez or Mike Flanagan. All these guys would be sitting uh, upper upper teens or twenties, that's for sure. And because they're that type of pitcher, they win games. Well, I mean, that's that's what they do. Well, my hope is that the Washington Nationals' success this year by perhaps mm-hmm. getting to the World Series or getting real close might go to Peter Angelos into finally changing that point of view. And it's a point of view, frankly, that dates back. Uh, there, there's not too many owners that would have let a Mike Musina walk over yeah. what over what we're talking about. You know. Yeah, that's that's true because uh, you know after Jim Palmer, he's probably the best pitcher that the the Orioles have ever had. Yep. So uh, uh, I I could see where in the in, and now the pitchers cost even more than Musina cost the Yankees. So that, that's. That's that's what's going to happen. We got about five minutes left with you, Ken. Let's uh, uh-huh. z- let's zero in on the New York Yankees. About two weeks ago, I thought there was a chance they could collapse, and yet they've uh-huh. gone the other way, and they're right on the tail of the Boston Red Sox. Of course, Boston won that big game last night, exploding for what six runs or seven runs in the fifteenth mm-hmm. inning uh, to stay uh, three games ahead of the Yankees. How good is this Yankee ball club, in your opinion? It, uh, they've really come on, and, and one reason, Stan, that they got a little healthier as, as the season went along here. Uh, I think, going back to spring training, the Yankees didn't even know what they had, although they played really well in spring training. They won 24 games in spring training. Mm-hmm. They hit more home runs than any team in Florida. They scored a lot of runs. And as spring training went on, I said to myself, they're going to score more runs than they did last year. By the beginning of September, they had already scored more runs than they scored all last year. So uh, they they were really I think they're third in the league in runs scored maybe second and uh, this this when you score a lot of runs it takes a lot of pressure off your pitchers uh, and now the Yankee pitching staff has come on they their bullpen is great I think when it got to the point where the Yankees realized we can make the playoffs then they made that deal with the White Sox and they picked up David Robertson they picked up Tommy Canely another hard thrower and they got Todd Frazier a third baseman. Uh, because uh, Chase Headley was not really producing. Well, it seemed to spur Headley on yep. because he's been one of the best hitters in the league since they got Tommy Fra- uh, Todd Frazier. So the, the, he's really come on and has been one of the most 
productive Yankees in the last month and a half. Uh, they got a little healthier. Darling Castro came back from an injury. Uh, twice he went on a disabled list with a hamstring. I think the first time he came back too soon. But uh, he's gotten healthy. D.D. Gregorius has had a fantastic year. Um, this is one of the best trades that Brian Cashman's ever made. It was a three-way deal. Shane Shane uh, Green Shane Green yeah. went to Detroit. Robbie Way, Ray went from Detroit to Arizona, and you guys ended up with Gregorius. It looks like it's turned out pretty well because I think Green's going to end up the closer in Detroit. Yeah, he he is. Uh, he's closing now because well, Detroit you know they're getting rid of everybody, so yeah. they're not that good. But not too many games are closed. But Didi. Um, the last two years, he's hit uh, over 40 home runs. You combine the two years, and the production out of the shortstop with 20-something home runs, he's got a career high this year, a career high in runs batted in, and he missed the first month of the season with an injury in the WBC. He's a fantastic fielder. Uh, he's got a very strong arm from all different angles like a shortstop needs. And as I said, this is one of the best trades that Brian Cashman's ever made. It took him a while to get going. Remember, he's replacing Derek Jeter. But after the first month of uh, last year, he started to really come on. He ended up with 20 home runs this year. He already has 22, and he's driven in close to 80 runs, and it, he's, he missed a month. You know, so I, I, uh, he's, he's been solidified. He solidifies the infield. Uh, the team has really played well. But just this is uh, If they can keep this up, they might uh, go a little farther in the uh, postseason than the, even the Yankees might have thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, they've got three players in in uh, Castro, De Gregorius, and uh, and Brett Gardner, who I uh-huh. just absolutely hate playing against them. But yet, I'd love <laughs> any of the three on my team. They're they're, yeah, they're all grinders. terrific players. They're grinders. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pitching they, pitching wise. Yeah. Ken, uh-huh. uh, that's where it gets a little suspect for the 2017 Yankees. Um, mm-hmm. Sabathia, Severino's been fantastic. Sonny yeah. Gray's been good. Uh, and uh, Tanaka, not so good. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Severino. He's going to get some Cy Young votes. Yep. He's 23 years old. Uh, he's Here's a guy who maintains his velocity throughout the game. Uh, I've seen him leave a ball game after seven innings and his last pitch was 100 miles an hour. I mean, he did it last night with the Orioles, uh, against the Orioles in New York. This is the type of pitcher they have, a legitimate ace, uh, and as I said, just 23 years old. Sabathia has been pretty good. Um, I think his ERA is something like 3-7, and he's 11-5. and He's missed some time with a knee injury, and he's had some knee issues the last couple of years. But seven of his 11 wins, stand came after a Yankee loss. Right. So that's that's what you really need. Somebody who can stop a, a, a potential losing streak, and he's done that seven times. As far as Tanaka, he's been up and down. He was terrible in the first half of the year. His ERA was over five, near six. Uh, last year, here's a guy who was 14-4, and four, one of the best pitchers in the yep. league, and this year, he just lost it. Then he got hot. He, he won like six in a row, and he seemed to, everybody said, okay, Tanaka's back. Then he started to struggle again, uh, he had a game two starts ago uh, in Texas. Uh, I did that game in Texas. He had a 4 nothing lead, and he flushed that in a blink of an eye. Uh, the Rangers scored five runs in like like five less than five minutes, and he was out of the game. And it was like he was like two different pitchers. You you don't well, see you don't see any way that he's really going to opt out of the money that the Yankees have committed to him. Do you, Ken? 
No, I don't, uh, because he's got $67 million right. left, and he's not having that type of year. Uh, Sabathia opted out a few years ago, and the Yankees gave him an extension, and one reason they did, because Sabathia was still at the top of his game, yeah. and the Yankees uh, needed him to be the, the at least the the ace of the staff and the leader, the leader of the staff. Maybe not the ace, but the leader. Um, uh, the young guys have a tendency to follow CC because he's been around for a long time, and he's a veteran, and he's got a lot of career stats. Um, yeah, I, I don't see Tanaka leaving, although uh, the Yankees are going to need him in the postseason. I, I, he's, he's, he's not having a year he would like. I think, what is he, 12-11 and 11 because he beat the Orioles the other yeah. night? Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they were envisioned somebody more like last year. Somebody who was 14-4 and four, have, have, uh, with a strong ERA. Have they found with Tanaka what the Orioles found with Bundy, that that giving him that sixth day or, or occasionally a seventh day, that they uh-huh. get a better version of him pitching? That, that's, that's very true, and they've tried to accommodate him as much as they can. Uh, they, it can't always work that yep. way because that's the nature of the schedule. And, uh, you know, in Japan, that's the, the way they work yep. over there. They pitch, pitch once a week. Well, that, that, that's not the case here in the United States. You can... In the American League or in Major League Baseball, you could, you might have to tune it up twice a week. So, and uh, he's not quite as effective in those situations. Although it, it's not as much of an issue this year as it was last year. All right, I got one last thing. I'm going to make you uh-huh. a hero in the Yankee management. You can go in and explain to them what happened to Severino last year. Say that <laughs> Stan the fan had him on his fantasy team. That's what happened to him <laughs> last year. Uh, well, he actually got sent back to the minor leagues. <laughs> I uh, twice last year. It was awful, yeah. awful. Hey, uh, one last question for you. I know Brian Cashman has been over in the Orient a couple uh-huh. times and looked at this uh, Babe Ruth of Japan, uh, yeah. Otani. Uh, uh-huh. You think the Yankees are going to try and go after him? Uh, I, I think so because now the way that uh, uh, the bonuses are set up, that he can only get so much money. It's yeah. not like he's going to get 155 million like Tanaka did. Right. So uh, I think the Yankees will. I think that they won't be the only ones. Yep. So there's going to be some bidding, but there's only so high you can go, and that means it's going to be Otani's choice to where he wants to go. If everybody maxes out, uh, supposedly this guy is some sort of hitter. Yep. Got all kinds of power, but he also throws 100 miles an hour. He's had some injuries this year. He's had both. Uh, uh, I, I had an ankle injury that put him on the disabled list for a while. I think he also had another leg injury that put him on the DL for a while, a hamstring. So he hasn't been able to pitch as much. Uh, I know Cashman went over to watch him pitch, and that particular night he wasn't very good. Yep. But in the very few at-bats, he's hit a lot of home runs. So uh-huh. this is going to be interesting how he's used over here. That, that, I think the team is going to have to make concessions to him because he wants to do both. Yep. It's it's really interesting, really interesting. Yeah, it will be. All right, Ken, we really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to join us, and we'll talk to you down the road a little bit. Yes, we will, Stan. We always do. All right, okay. thank you. There he goes, one of the finest gentlemen to ever wear a Baltimore Orioles uniform, and he also played for the uh, Montreal Expos, and I believe for a little time with the New York Mets. That's who he started his career in that organization. We'll... Um, We'll hold it right here, and in just about a minute, minute and a half, we'll be joined by Marty Conway. Marty's an old friend of mine, 
uh, one of the smartest guys I've ever met in the sports world. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, baseball schedule of 2018, which just came out. Uh, We'll talk to him a little bit about how that works this year. Several sort of changes in the structure of, of that, and we'll talk about how that is part and parcel of the last uh, basic agreement between the players and management of Major League Baseball. And joining us right now is a professor at Georgetown University, teaches courses in sports business uh, and the media, and that is Marty Conway. Marty, how are you? Hey, good morning, Stan. How you doing? Should I be calling you Dr. Conway? Not today. Maybe someday in the future, but not today, my friend. All right. We'll just call you Marty then. Uh, Marty, we um, wanted to have you on. You and I were chatting a little bit offline about the new schedule that's come out next year, and it's uh, very interesting in that uh, I know there have been seasons that have started in March before, but this season starts on a Thursday and one in which every team in baseball is going to play. I sort of smell Rob Manford all over this. Uh, that's a great point, because I was going to actually start with that, that I, I, I firmly feel and know this is more evidence of Rob's influence in the game, and I think he's been commissioner for you know several years since he was elected back in Baltimore. And Knowing that the schedule process is so elaborate that it's two years in advance starting to develop and a year and a half and all of that, so... His ability to influence this, I'm sure, goes back to a couple of years, uh, a few years. And so, yeah, you pointed out that for the first time since we were growing up and, and there was mostly day baseball, they're going to all, uh, all major league teams will start on the same day. So there'll be a true opening day. Yep. There'll be no more presidential opener, ESPN opener, or offshore opener that they'll all play on the same day. And they will play through the weekend. Uh, not everybody will play the next day. But it's clearly a marketing, um, uh, you know, a marketing driver, and I think a smart one. You know? Yeah, I would agree. There's also the, the the fact that they're starting earlier than usual. It has something to do with the basic agreement that is now going to allow the players and I might add everybody in the industry, PR people, uh, you know, people that work in marketing for teams, a little bit of time off. Because compressing, you know, 161 games into, what, 175 days becomes yeah. a very challenging proposition. And I think they want to give everybody a little more time to decompress. I think it's personally a very healthy thing for the industry. I, I think it's totally. And, and, and one of the, uh, to, to emphasize this point, one of the, my co-colleagues at Georgetown is the senior vice president of basketball ops for the Wizards and Ernie Grunfeld's right-hand man. And he talks about something different, which is the increasing value of these contracts has now forced teams into looking at one of the most valuable analytics of all the other analytics used is what is the predictor of this person's health going forward? And because now instead of investing 40 or 50 and you're investing 100 or 200 million, so health of the player's you see that the NBA is doing this too, where starting a little bit earlier, eliminating one preseason game to try to build in opportunities for off days for the players, but also stand for things that come up. Um, we've seen all kinds of weather issues. We have all kinds of things that are non-predictable. And when the schedule is locked in so tight, you just have very few places to go. And so that sort of flexibility. So 
yes, it's part of the basic agreement, and teams are going to start to look at how can I best keep my most valuable assets healthy to play as many games as possible, particularly in baseball. You know, one of the other things you and I were talking about is the proliferation next year of four-game series. And by four-game series, I mean Monday through Thursday and Thursday through Sunday. Uh, Looks like the Orioles next year have 11 such four-game series. That's going to cut down on a trip or two over the course of the year, isn't it? Yeah, well, it looks like only one trip out to the West Coast, uh, likely for teams that are coast-to-coast. And again, this is, I think, smart. Uh, You remember the days of the two-game series, and so if that's the case, a team is getting in, you know, on a Wednesday, Tuesday night or Thursday night, whatever it is, and coming in late, coming to the ballpark, playing, staying one night in a hotel, and then packing up and going to the ballpark and leaving right after that. So um, just the toll on bodies and the performance level. So having these four games, the series, where you come in, they actually started doing this, stand with umpires a couple of years ago, and I don't know if anybody noticed it, but instead of having umpires American and National League, they would say you're a major league umpire, and you would see umpires come in and spend three or four days in Baltimore and then go and spend three or four days in Washington. It didn't make sense to bring them from Baltimore to Chicago to Seattle. So taking a cue from that and allowing teams to come in and play four games or three game series and cut down on some of this travel, you know, just trying to get to another ballpark uh, in another time zone in particular. We're talking with Marty Conway. He teaches sports business at Georgetown University. He worked in the industry for a long time with both the Baltimore Orioles and Texas Rangers and long time with Facebook. He joins us right now. Marty, um, looking ahead, Rob Manfred, I I think, is going to have a really lasting impact on the game. Some of the ideas uh, I hear I like. uh, The the couple, one of the things I don't like is that the way he's – He's throwing it out there, though. I think that's what certain uh, politicians do. They throw something out to, to get how, how violently people disagree on something. Uh, the idea of uh, ending uh, some extra inning games by, by yeah. forcing the issue, uh, do you think that that really has a chance to, to make it? No, I, I, I don't, but I'll tell you why. So, so you're right. Sometimes these floating trial balloons to try to judge and assess the interest level or, like you said, the violence pushback or just the priority. You know, it begins a conversation. So what I'm about to say is, you know, it begins a conversation about, well, I don't think that the extra inning rule would be something to consider, but, and you would start to talk about what some of your other alternatives. And one of the things that I'm starting to look at, and I think maybe a research project around this is, Start to look at, Stan, the, where you can really compress the time is the breaks between innings. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it's going to continue to be necessary, and this may be heretical to people in the media industry, but why do we take the same breaks at the middle of every inning when the teams change and at the bottom of every inning, right? right. Because I think the days of the 30-second TV commercial right. are going to be gone within five to ten years. Already this year, Fox has announced that they're going to do some six-second commercials. Right. Um, and because that's what social media does, very short commercials, very short time frames. So think about this. Think about a game scenario that you could test where in the between innings, you don't, it's not three 30-second breaks plus a 10-second comeback, okay, we're ready to play. Maybe it's only 45 seconds between innings, but maybe at the bottom of the inning, 
we have 30-second commercials. Because if you watch a game, how many times do you see the same commercial in the third inning that you do in the sixth or seventh or eighth inning? Right, right. right. So we're already running an excessive number of spots. So if you really wanted to take eight minutes out of a game or seven minutes out of a game, you can do it right in between, uh, right in between the half and the bottom of the inning. One last question I have for you, and we're, we're trying to condense everything we're doing in the 11 o'clock hour to accommodate my man Craig Heist down there at Nats Park. But one, yeah. of the, one of the issues that I think would really speed up games is this, the, the uh, implementation of an electronic umpire, balls and strike umpire. I'm not taking away a job because you still need a, a body there to call plays at the plate, to call box. Uh, to, to do many of the things with the handle the baseballs. So I'm not talking about doing away with an umpire, but speeding up the process of bitching and moaning about balls and strikes. I think that takes up more time and so often calls upon, again, this gets to me, Marty, into an economic question. It causes a Kevin Gausman or a Dylan Bundy or a Luis Severino to perhaps have to throw 30, 40 more pitches in a game because they missed a couple strikes by the umpire. No, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, that there is circumstances during the course of the game where pitchers are going to call more. Um, you know, I think that sort of thing, when you start to look at, yeah, the umpire's union is going to have a strong say, perhaps the say, yep. and whether that occurs or not. But I, I really think that the and Major League Baseball needs to do a better job following what the NBA does which is where and how often they test these kind of theorems yep. and then publishing the results. And I think the NBA does a great job in their now called the G League, the form of the Development League. Last year, uh, they, they experimented with four officials in some of those games and to see mm -hmm. if the quality of play increases. So I could see the Arizona Fall League and I could see some other leagues being paid to run some of these demonstration type things for a month or a full season and then assess what the results are. I think that would be exciting for baseball. It would be controversial, but I think it would allow you and other people to talk about you know, some of these varying different types of ways to improve the game overall. All right. Marty Conway, many thanks for being on with us. I want to get you on TV with us in October to talk about some issues. All right? All right, Stan. Have a good show. All right. Talk to you this week. Bye-bye. There you go, Marty Conway. We're going to make our connection with Craig Heist, uh, who's been kind enough to – shoeboxes in for a visit. Uh, Craig Heist is out there doing the uh, Nationals-Dodgers game. Uh, they, of course, played the first game of their three-game series last night. Many people feel that that game was a um, sort of a preview, uh, maybe not that game, but that this series is a little bit of a preview of the National League Championship Series. Uh, the two best records in the National League are the Dodgers at 95-52, and then that's at 89 and 58. Uh, we'll talk to Craig Heist about the preview aspect of this series and how important it is to both ball clubs. And joining us right now is my friend and cohort on the bat around, Craig Heist. Heisty, how you doing? I'm good, Stan. What's going on, man? I, I got to tell you, this has been, and it's no knock against you. This has been the yeah. best show. This has been the probably best. Probably the best show you've ever done. Right? It's really probably the best one we've done. It, it's a it's a complete knock to you, Craig. Sorry. Yeah. yeah well, I know. There you go. All right. Hey. Uh, first of all, can you tell us any anything more 
on Bryce Harper's condition now that the Nats have returned home. You've gotten to witness what's going on. Do you think there's a chance he can get into a game or two before the regular season is over? Well, that's the plan, and the plan is probably to have it done in the final week. Uh, yesterday, or actually two days ago, he ran for the first time uh, foul pole to foul pole along the warning track, and it wasn't like an all-out run. It was pretty much more of a jog uh, than anything else, but uh, he had talked to our good buddy Ken Rosenthal, too, a couple of days ago, and told him that... Uh, he felt as though if, if he can get some at-bats and, you know, get himself close in terms of being able to hit, uh, you know, he thinks he can help this club coming down the stretch. I don't think, this, I don't think Bryce Harper is going to be anywhere near 100% by the time the postseason rolls around. But, you know, having his presence in the lineup certainly will determine how other managers go about uh, pitching to him, and that could have uh, a whole lot to say about how Ryan Zimmerman does, how Daniel Murphy does, all the guys that hit around him in that lineup. But he is progressing. He did get out and run this week a little bit. Uh, and then the, the, the plan is for him to go down to West Palm Beach because uh, even though the hurricane hit down in South Florida, the Nats are going to open up their facility to the Instructional League. Uh, so he'll get some at-bats down there and hopefully from there come back up here and see a bunch of simulated games and things of that nature. So it's it's on schedule, but just how much or how close he's going to be to being able to get in a game still remains to be seen, but the plan is for it to happen in the final week of the regular season. All right, we're talking with Craig Heist, who covers the Nationals for 106.7, uh, the fan in Washington. Yes, sir. All right, and he also joins us uh, each Saturday on the bat around. Um, I know his schedule gets hectic this time of year, and we'll take him when we can get him. Uh, Craig, um, last night, this series uh, sort of much ballyhooed as Washington's last chance to perhaps catch the Dodgers and get National League's best record, uh, but also just maybe as a preview of the National League Championship Series, uh, not a fair assessment with Edwin Jackson going in the first game, is it? No, it really isn't. And, you know, and I really think that even though Dusty talked a lot about, you know, we haven't lost sight of the Dodgers and maybe trying to catch them, but if they win the next two games, that would get the Dodgers' lead over the Nationals in terms of record down to four games. And then anything can happen in the last two, two and a half weeks. But, you know, I, I really think for as much as Dusty talked about this, if he were all that concerned about it, uh, I don't think you'd see Steven Strasburg pitching on six days rest. You would have had Jackson anyway in this series, but it would have been Strasburg and then Gio Gonzalez then uh, in, the other two, in, yeah. in the other two games. Yeah. So I, I just think from that standpoint, might be a little bit much to do about nothing in terms of how they were playing it up and, and how they were feeling about it. I, I can tell you this, there has been a lot of national interest in this series. Uh, MLB Network did the game last night. You still there, Craig? Craig. Okay, we lost our Craig Heist. Hello? Are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, you just cut off there for a minute. Uh, before Bonze asks you a question, are the Nats going to face, is, is Kershaw going in this series? 
He is not. He okay. is not. They got Hill today and Rue tomorrow. Do you think that both managers wanted to to uh, keep their aces from facing the other team in this series, or you think it's just a coincidence the way the the, the rotations laid out? I think it's just the way the rotations laid out. Uh, like I said, Strasburg's on a six-day rest. I said if, if Dusty was really all that concerned about really making this a series in terms of importance and catching the Dodgers, uh, I, I think you would have seen Strasburg on normal rest five days. He would have pitched today in Geo tomorrow, but that's not the case. You have A.J. Cole today and then Strasburg tomorrow night. But this, this series has gotten a lot of national attention uh, it was on the MLB Network last night. It's being on, you know, it's being televised on Fox today, and of course ESPN tomorrow night, the Sunday night game. So, uh, you know, it's probably you know two best teams right now, uh, at least record-wise in the National League. So it is getting a lot of play. Craig, I do want to ask: um, the Nationals had a series against the Braves this past week, and Max Scherzer. Um, he went through six solid innings, and then in the seventh inning, he walked the first three batters. Dusty kept him out there, and Scherzer's not that far removed from his neck issue, but they put him out there as long as he could, and he was clearly gassed, and then they eventually took him out after a two-run single. How is Scherzer, and why do they keep him out that long, especially this late well, in the he, year? He, he's fine, Bonza, and there were no repercussions with the neck or anything like that, but Scherzer told us after the game that was the plan was for him to throw, try to throw upwards of about 110 to 115 pitches, uh, and he wanted to get stretched out because it had been a while since he had been past 90. Uh, so from that standpoint, they went with it, and even though he, he just basically lost command in, the, in that seventh inning when he walked the bases loaded and then uh, eventually gave up the single, and then later on there was a grand slam hit. So, But, you know, from Scherzer's standpoint, everything was fine. Uh, he just lost command uh, early in the inning uh, before he had to come out of the game. But the plan was for him, uh, and Dusty confirmed it after the game, the plan was for him to throw upwards of about 110 pitches to get himself back acclimated to throwing that many pitches because he wants to be you know, ready to do that when the postseason starts. And one last thing for me, um, these last couple of days in the Braves series, there's been unusual distraction, at least to me and to probably the crowd. A lot of fighter jets and airplanes flying over the stadium and some jets flying over my house not too far from Nats Park. What's going on over there? Well, they're coming after you, Bonzo. (laughs) (laughs) They located Uh, Bonzo. The the radar picked up where Bonzo is, yeah. That's right, and they're trying to keep him off a of 270. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, seriously, there was an air show uh, in the area over toward Andrews, and that was a lot of it. And, uh, you know, kind of Andrews Air Force Base is, uh, well, they call it Joint Base Andrews now, but it's right. basically due, e- due east of the ballpark, and uh, as the crow flies, if you will. So uh, there was there was a lot of activity, and it was it was happening for a couple of days. So that's what all the the planes we saw helicopters, we saw some jets, we saw smaller planes, and yeah, they circled the ballpark as well. Uh, and and it did get some people raise some eyebrows because it happened right before the games were starting. Right, but, uh, Craig. Before we let you go, I got one quickie for you. The other day on um, uh, XM, uh, you know, Sirius Radio, the baseball uh, station. They, the morning guys, and I think it was C.J. Nitkowski along with Steve uh, Phillips, they do a thing where the producer gives them 
uh, ABC one two three or something where they rate things, and w- the question was he's going to be the Washington Nationals MVP. Number one was Bryce Harper. Number two was uh, Ryan Zimmerman. Number three was uh, was uh, 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 was Anthony Rendon. They left uh, Murphy off of the MVP, uh, you know, because it was so close. Who would you rank as the Nats MVP this season? For me, it's Zimmerman. Well, from a consistency standpoint, I voted, and we do get. They finally started this last year with the Nationals, much like we vote for yep. the, you know, the Lou Hatter Award uh, uh, with the Orioles. Uh, I, I voted for Anthony Rendon because uh, I think he is has been as consistent and had an MVP type of year. He's been uh, he's been kind of the scope of the Nats, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he plays he plays great defense at third base. I mean, we all rave about Manny Machado up in Baltimore, uh, but you know, from a defensive standpoint, Anthony's about as good as it gets. I wouldn't necessarily put him in Machado's uh, category, only because Machado has a tendency to make the unbelievable plays, if you will, uh, with a little more flash and flair. But Anthony Rendon is a solid third baseman as you're going to find, and at the plate this year, because he's been able to stay healthy, he's put up some really good numbers. You're going to have 100 RBIs before it's all said and done, up over uh, 20 home runs. And, you know, while Zimmerman's hit 30 home runs and, and driven in close to 100, uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of days off for him, and, and rightfully so. Dusty's done a real good job of trying to keep guys like him and Worth healthy, uh, but uh, Anthony Rendon has been, to me, the most consistent Nat. All right, Craig, thanks very much for squeezing in some time with us. We really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll see you back here next week. We'll talk about it this week, okay? All right, see you later. All right, there he goes, Craig Heist. We're going to take a quick timeout. And uh, Matt Soroka, brother of Josh Soroka from Section 336, will join us with a fan's opinion of the 2017 Orioles and what needs to happen in 2018. Back with more after this. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Here at Linex, we pride ourselves on protecting what matters most, which is why we're proud to partner with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to support their mission of finding cures and saving children's lives. So during the month of September, we'll be making a donation to St. Jude for every bedliner sold in recognition of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. Visit linex.com slash give to St. Jude to learn more and 
get involved. Working as part of a team is strong. Working with a team of more than a million soldiers is Army strong. Join the U.S. Army and train in one of more than 150 career fields that's more options than any other military branch. Visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com for more. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. Money for college. More than 150 career paths. Up to $40,000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Press Box's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash Sports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square introduces the best 2017 breakfast on the go. The all-new Chick-fil-A hash brown scramble. Fresh eggs, hash browns, cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses, plus either sausage or Chick-fil-A nuggets, all served hot and wrapped in a warm, scrumptious flour tortilla served with a side of dipping salsa. Want it to be ready when you get there? Download the Chick-fil-A app and order your hash brown scramble in advance. Stop by Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in White Marsh today and tell Steve I sent you. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. We are back on the bat around and uh, moving things along rather quickly. We've been joined a couple times this season, uh, two or three times by Josh Soroka of Section 336, a podcast that you can hear by going to PressBoxOnline.com and hitting the broadcasting button, and you can see them archived there. Uh, Joining us now is another member of the team on Section 336. That is Josh's brother, Matt Soroka. Matt, appreciate the time. Hey, absolutely, Stan. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad you can get a new perspective here because Josh comes on, I know, your show a couple times. And uh, he doesn't represent all the views of 336. Uh, so I'm glad to have that new perspective. Yeah, I, we are, our audience is dying to hear some new perspective because Josh <laughs> is just so tired. Uh, but I'm sure... And I've been saying that for years, yeah. I'm sure that uh, Bert, your brother-in-law... You and and Josh are all in agreement that 2017 is going to go into the books as a somewhat disappointing season for Oriole fans. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and if you want to talk about it, we claim to be the voice of the fan. And and as the voice of the fan, like, we're, this is, it's more than disappointing. It's like we're angry. And I think, we, and, and you can look at players, uh, coaching, and management has not been good, especially the second half of the season. And it's been ugly. It's been ugly as a fan. And yeah, I'm I'm unhappy on so many levels with this team. What are what are you most angry at management about? I guess and management isn't Dan Duquette. I think we all agree in Baltimore there's the management of the general manager and the manager and his coaching staff, and then there's the above that pay grade, the owner. Are we upset at uh, the way this team won't go after really quality pitching? 
Well, I tell you, this is a, a small example, but I think it's emblematic of what's going on with this team, and that's the whole Austin Hayes situation. And this, the Austin Hayes situation blows my mind. So Austin Hayes had a huge year in both single A and double A, crushing the ball. He's, he's, what, 21 years old. He's only been in the system for a year. And then he gets called up. So I think, okay, fine. You call Austin Hayes up um, because you want to add a spark to, to the lineup or something. To call Austin Hayes up, you have to put Jason Aquino uh, on waivers and remove him from the 40-man, which we saw the whole Parker Bridwell. We've seen enough time our young pitchers go somewhere else. And here's a young lefty starter we just put on waivers just to bring up um, uh, Austin Hayes, which, okay, fine. He can add the spark to your lineup. But Austin Hayes gets here. He's taking up a 40-man roster. You start his arbitration clock, which he didn't need to start yet, all to do what? To just sit on the bench for a week. That, that that's, I think, is the perfect example of, of like, our Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette not on the same page here? Did Dan Duquette want to make that move, but then Buck Showalter got him and, and decided not to play him? Because now, Austin Hayes is holding up a 40-man roster spot, which he can't be removed from now. So even next year, he's going to be holding up that 40-man roster spot. And he's, he's, the arbitration clock starts, so he's a year close to becoming a free agent. All of that, because why? So he can come and sit on the bench? Like, that's that is just one example of, of management, uh, Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter not being on the same page or something, but that's just, just bizarre and, and frustrating from well, the I understand. I, I understand from a fan's standpoint that the, a lot of what you said is true. Are you really upset, though, that they, they ended up potentially losing Jason Aquino over this? Well, that, that doesn't bother yeah. me in the least. I, I mean, yeah, but the, 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 those are three things. The, the biggest thing to me is now Austin Hayes is taking up a roster, a 40-man roster spot, when there's no need. You, you could have waited. You could have waited to start his clock. You could have waited because next year he's going to what? He'll have to start in the majors or he'll, he'll be in the minors holding up a 40-man roster spot when you could have waited a whole year. There, there was just no need for it. Well, I think, and, and far be it from me to try and defend management, but to me, I think they see Austin Hayes as a very real possibility to compete to start in right field next year, and I think they wanted to get him acclimated to the major leagues. And I get the fact you're saying, yeah, but he sits for a week, but now that the club has really fallen out of contention, not mathematically, I think you are going to start to see him get uh, – I think he'll get five more starts this year before the year's out. And, you know, Trey Mancini said that the time that he spent on the big league roster last year was invaluable – in getting him ready for the season he's had this year. So yeah. I'm a little bit in disagreement with you. Okay, I guess what I would have rather seen is, is you could have kept Austin Hayes down there and not put him on the 40-man yet. Then next next spring training, you got a bunch of outfitters at Bowie who are all playing great ball, and DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins um, along with him, and have them have fight it out for that, for that right to starting job. Um, so I, I would have rather seen that. I'll tell you what um, bothers me about it is I didn't see the need to make the move by taking the player away from your double-A franchise who's making the playoffs at that moment in time unless there was an urgent need for him. Uh, so, And I guess Buck would say, well, with the gentry injury, we wanted to have an extra outfielder that could field and run and things like that nature. But I thought that was the most distasteful part for me 
was that uh, your, t- your teams, I think learning how to win is important at every level of baseball. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, to be honest, I really don't care that much about Bowie, but I also think that Hayes would have been uh, a better option. I mean, Joey Rickard was starting games over Hayes. And Seth Smith, who's been terrible this, uh, yep. this month, has, has, has been starting games. And, and why? I don't understand why Mark Trumbo is still getting starts in the outfield when you have expanded rosters and you have so many outfielders who could play that position. Why is Trumbo still starting out there? So I think Hayes could have gotten starts right when he was caught up over all those other guys. We're talking with Matt Soroka, part of the Section 336 podcast that uh, airs on PressBoxOnline.com, or it's housed there, uh, and you can listen to it uh, archived there. Let's talk a little bit about pitching. Uh, I wrote yeah. a column for the the print edition of PressBox. It came out yesterday, and I'm still kicking myself because it came out on Friday, and I wrote it about a week ago, and I actually said Bundy and Gosman will be starters next year. Castro's going to be given every opportunity to start. And Wade Miley, despite the fact the whole year I wouldn't have thought it even remotely possible, had pitched well enough to warrant maybe picking up that $12 million option. And lo and behold, he has that outing he had in New York the other night. Where do you fall on starters beyond Gosman and Bundy next year. Yeah, yeah, that's really, and I read, uh, yeah, this is it's a really tough situation. The Miley twelve and a half million option for one year is tricky. I think a, a guy no one's talking about, but has shown well, and I hope he continues to pitch well. Gabriel, you know, I think he could be an option next year for that rotation as well. But I think the Orioles are in a position where they can't sign anyone. I know you mentioned Alex Cobb earlier when I was listening. You can't sign anyone long-term because, for two reasons. One, if you're the Orioles right now, your focus has to be on um, Manny Machado if you can re-sign him. And if you can re-sign him, all your kind of financial resources have to be put there and you can't go after a big-time pitcher with a long-term contract. And if you can't sign Manny Machado, then why chase a 30-year-old pitcher and sign him to a four-year deal? Because if you can't sign Manny Machado you're going to have to go do some type of mini-rebuild mode. And so with all those things, I hate to say it, but even with how Miley hit his last start, uh, you do want a one-year deal, and Wade Miley's is a one-year deal, and you so don't I have get, any other options. So I, I get beyond those four that I mentioned, Castro, I mean Bundy, Gosman, Castro, and Miley, I'm still, I'm still stuck how to build not only the fifth member of that rotation, but build in the insurance policy uh, or two that the 2017 Orioles didn't have. I mean, once Tillman was hurt and Gosman and Ubaldo were ineffective and Miley was ineffective, there was no reinforcements that were worthy of really being major league pitchers. Yeah, and this is something Duquette tried to address in the offseason last year, right? Yeah. He brought in Gabriel Enola, Vidal Nuno, Alec Asher, so he brought in all these kind of borderline guys, hoping one of them would work out. Right. Unfortunately, they were all they've all played poorly and, and, and pitched and pitched badly. Well, and two so, two of them didn't. Yeah, Castro he, and Blyer, uh, they well, now look like they'll though, be yeah. parts. Yeah. Well, yeah, the talk is now that they really, because they are so short on arms, the talk is very serious about Castro getting a chance to start. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a good move, right? Because lack of options, he has multiple pitches. And he's shown even this season he can go multiple innings and be effective. So, yeah, I think that that sounds like a viable option. But if that's 
But you're right. So we're talking about Tillman. I mean, I'm sorry. We're talking about Gossman and Bundy. And then after that, Castro and Castro and Miley, you know, and then yeah. and then pay. And you know, he goes Miley. Yeah. All right. Yes. Matt, we, we appreciate your joining us in uh, on this uh, program. And we will have you and Bert and Josh on many times during this offseason to talk about what the club is doing. All right? Absolutely, Stan. Thanks. It was Great, fun, man. Greatly appreciate it. There you go. Matt Soroka, Section 336. We're going to make our connection with a longtime Baltimore Sun writer and longtime press box writer, Jim Henneman. He's going to join us in just a minute to talk about the column he wrote for the print edition of Press Box, which just hit the road, uh, hit the uh, streets yesterday. There's the cover. Uh, Contrast in College Park, story written by Luke Jackson. Terrific job that Luke did on uh, talking about the difference maker down at College Park in his second year, and that is none other than D.J. Durkin. But we turn back to baseball because, after all, this is the bat around. And joining us right now is longtime baseball writer and uh, holds a holds a Hall of Fame vote, and uh, he does official scoring for the Orioles, and that is none other than Jim Henneman. Jim, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Stan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Jimmy, I got to be honest your your uh, your article that I read yesterday because you pushed it out on social media, or at least you emailed it to all your friends and acquaintances, uh, MLB commissioners should scrutinize practice of teams buying out of expensive deals. I, th- I found it fascinating, and it's a topic I had never really thought of myself before. Well, I mean, it's, you know, in a lot of ways it's not really unheard of. I mean, uh, I mean, Bowie Coon, you know, kind of, Stepped in and uh, stopped a lot of deals. I mean, it's it's not the same thing, but it's uh, it, the it, idea of, of people just unloading for you know for money not being a significant part of of a deal. Let's put it that way. Right. But and I, uh, and I remember very well Bowie Coon stepping in and 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 doing away right. with the sales. What players? It was Vita Blue, Joe Rudy, and Gene Tennis, right? Well, Joe Rudy was one. Joe Rudy was. I think Joe Rudy was uh, was one of the key ones. I, I guess Vida Blue. I don't really remember. Right. You know, hey, he could have been. You know, uh, at that point, I think Catfish. You know, Catfish. Who, who, even though he's not technically credited with it, he he actually was the first free agent. Right. I mean, McNally and uh, and uh, Messersmith. Messersmith. Messersmith were the guys that that technically went through the through the system thing, but. Uh, but it was Hunter that was actually the free agent when uh, when Finley didn't uh, uh, stand up to one part of the contract. I think they were like he had an annuity payment due every year, somebody dead, and Finley didn't didn't make it, and uh, and then made him a free agent. And, so, uh, so that and that was a year ahead of time. So that was a year before that. So. so I know this 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 tactic has you kind of saying, "Boy, this needs to change in the game itself." Who then feels that do you feel would this would gain traction with argument wise? Is it the the have nots that they well I, actually no you know I I actually think that uh, there, probably there's there there there's probably something in the CBA that that might uh, stand in a way or it may already be there. I I just don't. Uh, I mean I, this goes back to the to the to the A ride. 
deal with uh, with Texas and the Yankees. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's the most obscene thing that's ever happened in, in in my lifetime. I mean, the idea that the Texas Rangers were paying ten million dollars of a Rod salary annually while he was playing for the Yankees was just. Uh, I mean, I, I just. At the time, I couldn't. Uh, I mean, Bud was, Bud Silly was a commissioner then, and he takes a rap for a lot of things. Uh, you know, perhaps maybe deservedly so in some ways. In some ways, maybe he gets more uh, more blame than he than, than necessary. But I don't think this was a case that that that, that screamed for somebody to step in and say, "Hey, wait a minute, we're not going to have this." But uh, uh, it, it went through, and uh, and actually, it went through. People forget that it went through after. Uh, you know the deal with a uh, deal with with the Red Sox was turned down. Avery actually turned down. A, I think it was yep. Avery turned down a deal with the Red Sox before all that happened. So I thought that the, I thought what happened in the Red Sox turning down the deal was actually that the Players Association stepped in. Arod was willing to lessen his salary from the Red Sox. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because yes, I was right. in I was in contact with Lucino back then and was making a suggestion. That they pay him some type of pay, um, compensate him by allowing him to do ads in his uniform, which is not technically done. I thought there was a way around that, and they could have negotiated less money in salary. But the players' association stepped in and said that's not happening. Yeah, and I don't think that uh, I don't think I don't think a team would be able to. Uh, to do that either, I think. Yeah, had to come from MLB to yep. do that. Yeah, but it, it was just it was just the idea, and of course, it's it's now become kind of commonplace. And uh, and in, in in my thing, it's like the stumbling block on some of these trades now is not so much who we're giving up, but it's how much money are you going to give me to help offset this dumb contract that you signed to a guy, you know, five years ago. Right. Right. Um, and you know, to me, I mean, and actually, a ride case was the one that that, that that really got my attention all those years ago. But but perhaps the worst one was the Josh Hamilton thing with the Angels and the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, he left the Rangers and signed this minor contract with the Angels, and and was hardly there for a cup of coffee when that didn't work out, and went back to the to the Rangers and the Angels. Except for the, I think the only thing the Rangers were obligated for was that was the minimum salary, right? And you know, which was kind of ludicrous, you know, in its own way. And they're in the same division, competing for the same thing, and one team is paying off the other team's players. So let me change gears slightly. The Orioles have one contract. I think we'd all say if they had to do over again, they would certainly give it a closer look. And that's first baseman Chris Davis, who it seems like from the moment he signed that contract, Jim, hasn't been exactly the same type of player he was before signing the contract. How do you think the Orioles approach, not trying to get rid of him, trying to maximize his talents? Well, see, here's, uh, I mean, that's, listen, you know, for me to sit here and try to say how the Orioles are going to be able to maximize Chris Davis' town or anybody's town is kind of ludicrous. I mean, I can have a thought about about one thing or another about an approach, but you know, for me to try to step into that thing, I don't. You know, I don't really think I'm anywhere near qualified okay. to talk about that. I will say this: the problem with those kind of contracts is, is that if if in fact you you now decide you want to try to get out of it, it's the only way you can get out of it is 
is to agree to pick up part of the package. And my contention is when these deals are made, it's kind of like it's almost like a buyer beware thing. Look, this is this is your baby, right? And uh, and you got it, and you got to live up to it. And if somebody else decides they want this guy, then they got to take the whole package. In, in other words, you know, you don't you don't get part of it and have somebody else pay off the other part of it. I mean, now, it's it's, a, it's an interesting idea, and I guess in my opinion. The people that would have the biggest problem with it would be MLBPA saying, hey, this is a speed bump against us getting these big contracts is teams will really think it through and try and chisel it down to be smaller. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, and I, you know, I, mean, I don't think that the, you know, the players are not necessarily going to be, you know, I mean, they're not going to be uh, uh, against anything that's going to maybe uh, curtail the, the, the length or length or size of, of the contracts. I mean, it's just like, you know, we all talk about it all the time about you got to get this guy signed. You got to do this. We got to do that. But you don't really know what it's going to take until the guy's out there. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it takes two. The, 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 the players association is going to frown on any, uh, on anybody signing before they test the market. Yep. I mean, that's, Kind of the way it goes, and then you know you have to learn to live with that. I mean, I don't have any problem with that part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just the uh, the way you you then try to go about getting out from under uh, the contracts that you you know you tied yourself up to before. I mean, uh, that's that's the thing that I think is is most bothersome. And of course, you know, you get back into. I mean, I've already had one response to the, to this column, and it's saying, you know, it goes back to. <clears throat> when you were off as a commissioner <clears throat> and, and you know, stood in front of the owners and berated them for all this scoopy money that they were spending to guys, and you know, this is 30 years ago, and uh, and the owners didn't really like to hear all that stuff. But if you remember, uh, it was under you were off, he convinced them to open the books, and he pretty much uh, guided them right into the collusion case, yep. which cost them a lot of money on the surface, but probably saved them three times that in salaries over a period of time. But, of course, they now have that cloud over them. If they do it again, uh, you know, it's a different, uh, you know, it'd be a different ballgame. We're talking with Jim Henneman, who writes baseball for PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com, also does some special stuff for the Orioles, wrote the book, The 60-Year Anniversary of the Orioles, and he does official scoring. And technically, you're hired by MLB to do that, correct, Jim? Yeah, for the scoring, yes, that's correct. All right. Do you still enjoy that as much as you always have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I guess, like, you know, like a lot of jobs, 90% of the time, you love it. Yeah. And the other 10% of the time, you earn your money. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I had I had a topic. Uh, I know we talked about it off the air yesterday. Uh, the passing of Gene Michael, I don't know how well you knew Stick. I knew him from going back to a bunch of winter baseball meetings and him sitting right by my um, season tickets for years because he was a scout. Uh, but a really pretty shrewd baseball guy, don't you think? Yeah, he he was uh, you know very much involved, and he was, you know, I guess probably his thing with the Yankees involved around the two years that Steinbrenner was uh, suspended, was suspended, yeah. and he was kind of like the he was kind of like the point guy in the in the front office, and and he's you know he's done a little bit of everything. I mean, he played, he managed, he scouted, he was a GM, uh, and he, you know he was 
you know, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I think he was, he was a GM, I don't know if he was a GM when Buck was hired or not, but he certainly was part of the office when, front office when, uh, when Buck was managing the Yankees, so, um, you know, he had a he had a lot of uh, good friends in baseball. I mean, he knew, and it wasn't just a, because he was a good guy. I mean, he was a he was a sharp guy. He, uh, you know, I think he understood the game, and uh, maybe maybe even understood the game too much for some people. Susan know? Susan Waldman, who's been working in New York for a long time, she's the partner of John Sterling in the radio booth, but she used to work for FAN. She always tells me that he was the one that kind of misinformed intentionally George Steinbrenner that he was trying to trade Bernie Williams, but nobody wanted him. Uh, you know, that he would sort of tell Steinbrenner a couple things to keep him from taking apart that core four of Bernie Williams, Posada, Pettit, and Rivera, and Jeter, core five, really. Well, I don't know a whole lot about that. I do know that that uh, when Doug Melvin was here, when he came here from the Yankees, and Bernie was still kind of a, uh, you know, I, I know that that he was a he was a guy that had that procured uh, Doug's interest, and and, yeah. uh, and Doug told me a couple times that uh, you know they they tried to you know they, they tried to get Bernie. Uh, I, I now you know they, which probably meant you 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 translate that as you know they probably tried to steal him. Yeah, I mean, you probably tried to get him when you thought he was on the on the down road. So yeah, I think that's probably a good possibility that the, you know that that's the kind of thing that that, that Stick would have maybe had his, his best influence on would, would have been like protecting that kind of a player. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Jim Henneman. Jim, we um, we've got about three minutes left with you. Um, I wrote a column in uh, the print edition of Press Box that came out yesterday trying to build the rotation for next season. I've got, of course, Bundy and Gosman in there. I think they really will give Miguel Castro a strong look and try and stretch him out in the spring. And I still think, despite his poor performance Thursday night in New York, there is a chance on a one-year contract using Andy McPhail's old phrase about there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal that Miley certainly is in play because they can control keeping him for one year. But that fifth starter, uh, where do you think the Orioles go to get some help there? You know, I think, look, the, the bottom line is down the road, you know, for the first, it seems to me for the first time in a while, they're in a decent position. Uh, they have some position prospects. I yes. Mean, uh, and I've seen there's some some games in Bowie and some games in Frederick. And I think they got some guys. And some of these guys, if you look at the team, like right now, uh, I mean, we don't know who's going to be here beyond next year. So some of those guys are going to be playing here. But some of those guys are also going to be in trades. Yep. I mean, there's just no there's no question about that. So, And what you have to do is, you know, you have to hope that you, you start, you know, not so much, you know, like people always say, you know, you got to they should have gone out and got pitching, but you're the pitching you're going to go out and get right now is going to be pitchers that you never heard of right now because they're they're going to have to get young guys that are still in the minor leagues and maybe maybe backlogged by right. some other teams. So, you know, I I think Castro will be in the mix next year. I think Anoa will be in the mix next year. I think a handful of guys. I don't. I saw the thing today where they say that they're bringing up Tanner Scott. I, you know, I'm, I saw him pitch uh, in the playoff game in, in Bowie and. You know he's just too erratic right now. Yeah. I and mean, I just I don't really see him playing into that into that film right now. But there's a handful of guys that uh, 
I mean, I still don't rule out Mike Wright, although a lot of people still want to, you know, make him a relief pitcher, which is, seems to be the way to go. Uh, so, and and I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll they'll be in the market for somebody, but I don't I don't see them spending twenty to twenty five million dollars that for a pitcher. Do and you I see them? I don't blame them. I guess know? I guess my question though is, in between the twenty and twenty five million dollar guys, could be. A sixteen, seventeen million dollar guy. Do you think they're willing, or is the Ubaldo contract sort of that? That's where we stop. Well, the Ubaldo contract didn't work out. It was brutal. But yeah. we're talking about seventeen, eighteen million dollars. You get Y in Chen. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't really think so. I don't. You know, I I think you just gotta. You, you know, you have to find somebody. You have to. You have. You have to. You know, you have to try to find an arm somewhere either in your system, <clears throat> or you got to, or you got to find one in somebody else's system and make a deal. Uh, you know, I think they won't lack for. I mean, like right now, you don't have three stars that we're trying, to, but we're using seven. So right, uh, and that's sometimes, and it doesn't it, mathematically that doesn't seem to make any sense. But I guess the operative thing is, is that when you, you only have two, you can count on you. You got to try to make sure that the two are the best it can be every time they go out. So. From that standpoint, I understand it, but from but when you can't find three, uh, looking at seven doesn't really make make a whole lot of sense, except in the scenario we just talked about. Let me let me close with one other question about probably one of the more perplexing players of recent Oriole vintage is Chris Tillman. Uh, how would is it as simple as just hey, nice work for five five years and uh, we'll see you around, or do you? Think the club figure tries to figure some way of holding on to him in a fiscally sane way. Well, there's, there'll be a way. I mean, you know, hey, listen, everybody, Dan Conley, he thinks that the Orioles, you know, they should just make a nice offer for him now, and I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it because either. I think that. But listen, and, and incentive laden, you know, there's all kinds of incentive. Those kind of deals, I mean, they make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, the kind of deals where where you got to pay somebody else's pay somebody while he's playing for somebody else, they don't make any sense. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think Tillman, yeah, I mean, I can see that, but I mean, based on what you've seen, you know, it, it is a, what have you done for me lately yep. game. So do you have any notion? Do you have a, a an opinion of, about what happened to him from June 14th, 2016 till now? No. Okay. No, I mean, other yeah. than, uh, well, you have to say he was hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's no other, there's no other rational, uh, I mean, you go back and it's like, you know, I mean, he's had, you know, he had actually three good seasons here and yeah. they weren't all in succession, but, uh, yeah. but he had, you know, he had, he's had some good seasons here. Now I don't, you know, uh, like everybody else, you have, you have philosophies, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, he's not a, from, I don't know him. But he doesn't appear to be a complainer. He doesn't appear to be an excuse maker. He just, nope. you know, he's a solid he just guy. Been able to do it, you yeah. know. So, all right, Jimmy. Many thanks for coming on with you. us. I really enjoyed this column, even the part where you talked about our old friend Tom Giordano, eighty-eight and not finished yet. Still working yeah, with the and Braves. I've gotten, I've gotten three corrections on his age already, and none, and none <laughs> of those were agreed. So, all right, <laughs> all right. Thanks, buddy. Talk right. to you soon. Right. Jim Henneman, he can be reached at Jim H at PressBoxOnline.com and his uh, Upon Further Review column in the print 
of this issue of Press Box, an interesting, interesting piece. We're going to take a final time out, and then Bonza and I will close by talking about the remarkable 22-game winning streak that is now in the rearview mirror of the Cleveland Indians. Back with the close. Chick-fil-A Nottingham. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square introduces the best 2017 breakfast on the go. The all-new Chick-fil-A hash brown scramble. Fresh eggs, hash browns, cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses, plus either sausage or Chick-fil-A nuggets, all served hot and wrapped in a warm, scrumptious flour tortilla served with a side of dipping salsa. Want it to be ready when you get there? Download the Chick-fil-A app and order your hash brown scramble in advance. Stop by Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in White Marsh today and tell Steve I sent you. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto, and I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410 Six seven six two two seven seven. That's four one zero six seven six cars. Thirteen zero four Governor's Court, Unit one ten in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireandAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, ten to noon. We talk about mostly football. Yes. We we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, ten to noon. Press box, fantasy reality, football show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. And if you like great food and baseball, you have to visit my friend Steve Garland's restaurant, Big Bats Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Ken Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner 
of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, Bonza, only with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. Great place to watch any sporting event. That includes Caps hockey, Maryland football. They're all there. Baseball playoffs, just a great place. If you're heading down the Eastern Shore or heading from the Eastern Shore back to Baltimore, that would be right before the bridge. Um, Big bats. All right. There we have it. Uh, Cleveland Indians, remarkable 22 games in a row. What I find the most remarkable is that the moment they started that, that streak, the Dodgers who were about 18 games in front in the American National League West, they lost 15 out of 16. To have competing streaks like that, pretty remarkable. Yes, Yeah, you got the best team in the league, a team who you thought could contest for the Mariners' win record of 116. 116, yeah. And then all of a sudden this happens. At the same time, this Indians team who many people probably weren't that satisfied or impressed with in the first half of the year, all of a sudden they go on this unbelievable record-breaking streak, and all of a sudden it's kind of like what you expected with the Indians and the Dodgers. It's just interesting to note that even with losing 15 out of 16 and the other team, the Indians, winning 22 in a row, in a row the Dodgers are four and a half games better than the Indians that's now. That's maybe the most remarkable stat of all. I was watching the um, Indians game when they won their 21st game in a row. Right. You would have thought it was late October in the World Series at Cleveland's ballpark. Like, packed uh, crowd. The fans were They, they, were, they were loud. Going, yeah, it was great. Oh, my God. Good and stuff. then when they lost last yesterday, they gave a standing ovation. Here's a quick question now. I don't know if you've seen the replay of this or not. I meant to ask a couple of our guests today. Have you seen the replay of the pitch that hit the umpire after he threw out, after the home plate umpire had thrown out Brad Ausmus and James McCann? The pitcher on the mound was Buck Farmer. The new catcher was John Hicks. And there was a fastball. There's a right-handed batter, fastball on the inside, Hicks went like this, and it was like 93, 94 miles an hour. It hits the umpire square on his right shoulder. Yeah, they thought it was on purpose. A lot of talk was on purpose, and I got to tell you something. I watched it, and I kind of like rubbed my eyes and looked again, replayed it. The, the telltale sign to me that it was done intentionally is I don't know what kind of human being would John Hicks would miss a fastball like that, not be his first reaction, be concerned with what happened to the umpire if he, in fact, was hit. He never even, and and you know as well as I do, that umpire, when he was hit, he didn't have the cone of silence on. He probably went, ah, you, ah, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was in some pain. The catcher never looks back. He runs out to the pitcher almost as if talking about, Mixed signals or a missed signal. Maybe getting crossed up. Getting crossed up. But to me, I've watched baseball for a long time. When the umpire gets a foul ball off of him or he's hit by the pitch, the the catcher catcher is the first guy that says, are you okay? You know, Or even the batter. Yeah. Well, that batter did wave for some help. It's interesting. I've never heard of an umpire getting hit on purpose in the major leagues. Never have heard of I've, it in any level of ball. I mean, it may have occurred somewhere, but 
before, but uh, I've heard of it in like amateur or like you know high school or whatever. But major leagues, I understand being upset an umpire, but to hit an umpire on purpose, I never, yeah, in my life heard that. It's hard to contemplate that that's what went on, but I'm telling you, have you seen the replay? I have not. Okay. I've just heard Take about the story. Take a look at it, and it's Hicks. To me, it's like the old uh, fake try for the you know. It's a 95 mile an hour fastball. You know, if the ball's in the dirt, he's going to move to like a hockey goalie, uh, and this is all he's going to give a fastball. You know, did, did anyway. they make a decision on that, or are they still no, investigating a, it? It doesn't look like anything's going to happen. You know, I mean, that's a very big accusation to make. Yeah, it really is. But uh, I don't make it lightly either. University of Maryland has the day off today. Football team. Is Towson off today? No, they are playing today. I don't recall who they're playing, but they're I not think they're on the today. road. They're, they're on, on the road. road. Okay. All right, that does wrap up our show. Don't forget tomorrow, uh, Fantasy and Reality Football Show with um, uh, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard, and then Project Game Day featuring Glenn Clark during halftime of the Ravens-Browns game tomorrow, and then after the game, at least a full hour, I think, of talk between uh, Sarita Hubbard and Glenn Clark about the game, all by going to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. You have a good weekend, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you later this week. All right? Glenn Clark back Monday through Friday, 10 to 12, these same airwaves at pressboxonline.com slash radio or facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Take care.